Welcome back to Biblical Book Review. I'm Kevin. I'm Alec. And I'm George. We are so happy you are joining us for today's study. Last week, we did chapter 25, part one. Today, part two of chapter 25, what does that have to offer, George? Well, when Jesus finishes the uh, metaphor of the vine and the branches and the fruit that uh, is required, he says, I just want you guys to know that there's going to be some trouble. And so the apostles are going to be warned of tribulation, and yet there's going to be encouragement along with that uh, warning. And so uh, chapter 15 of John, uh, the end of chapter 15, and then the beginning of chapter 16 of John, uh, Jesus goes into this forewarning that uh, troubles will will begin and will continue uh, throughout their entire mission. And so just be aware of that. So apostolic tribulations and encouragements. Trouble? George, we're not supposed to have trouble in Christianity. Everyone tells me I'm supposed to be happy and comfortable and I'm a Christian to get things, right? Sadly, that uh, seems to be the mantra until you actually experience Christianity. And then suddenly the door slams on that. And quite often without proper roots, without proper cultivation of the soil, uh, the new Christian will, will turn tail and, and uh, exit but it does become, in, in the mind's eye of these disciples, soon-to-be apostles, uh, he wants them to know that this is going to be a privilege. This is going to be an honor to, to have this type of trouble in your life as a Christian. And so if we look at it like that, then it's a whole different uh, viewpoint than poor, pitiful me. <laughs> yeah, and that's a, really, that's a really tough thing to... To master. I mean, it's really easy to say, and Jesus obviously looking in the future and can see the trouble that these uh, guys and the rest of Christian world are going to have to go through uh, because of their belief structure. Uh, but to master that attitude of I get to suffer because of Christ, as opposed to I, I have to suffer because of Christ, both statements are true, but your mindset of uh, I, I get to, it's a privilege, it's an honor to suffer on behalf of Christ. That, that's, the, that's the mature Christian attitude, not the, like you were talking about, Dad, the poor pitiful me, oh, how come? I mean, it's just complain, 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 as opposed to, okay, I'm, I get to suffer because of Christ, and that's a benefit. Yeah, like you said, mindset, um, going to the fire service, we go into these burning buildings, right? And you, we cannot see anything when you go in there. It's completely pitch black. And I remember being a young firefighter going in and kind of being frantic, trying to search, trying to figure things out. And I remember having a senior firefighter tell me, are you are your eyes open or closed? I'm like, what do you mean are my eyes open? Does it even matter? I can't see anything. He's like, well, to answer the question, I'm like, well, they're open. He's like, well, that's your problem. He's like, control what you can control. Have the mindset going in knowing you can't see, close your eyes. You're not going to be able to see anyway. Close them. And then you have control over it, and now you can control your actions, your attitude, and how you act in that environment. Same thing here. You're going into it if you're a Christian. It's going to get dark. Are you going to freak out, have your eyes open, panic? Or are you going to close your eyes knowing that you're going into these situations and control it the best you can? And so Jesus does uh, what Jesus uh, does really well. He 
he'll say, here's, here's some things that I want you to know about these tribulations, about these problems that are going to surface. And the first, you know, uh, fortification, if you will, the first uh, teaching that Jesus gives them is it's like, you know what? I don't want you to be blindsided. There's nothing worse than uh, going into some campaign, going into some situation where from the side where you're not even expecting it, here comes something that just blows you down, just knocks you down. And Jesus says, I want you to know this beforehand. I want you to realize going in that this is going to occur. And I'm not going to beat around the bush. I'm not going to uh, give you a whole bunch of words. I'm just going to say, I want you to know right up front. And if you know what the worst is, then basically you're prepared for anything. And the worst, obviously, is, you know, the life-threatening tribulation. And as all of the disciples, these apostles-to-be, uh, they all learned that their life was, was temporary. Uh, John is the only one, the one that writes this gospel, is the only one that lived to be an old man. The rest died young, and that is the worst. And so you're going to threaten me with seeing Jesus? You're going to threaten me with heaven? And if you know that going in, then let them do what they want to do. And so Jesus warns them, this is going to happen. I want you to know about it right up front. And we wouldn't think that this is these would be comforting words, but it really is a comfort. Uh, it is that assurance, like you're saying, that, that prepared mindset, uh, having that mindset prepared beforehand. So it's not a blindside attack. It's not a, well, Jesus never said this was going to happen. How was how I could be prepared for this? It's, no, Jesus is going to warn these apostles and by extension, the rest of the Christian world beforehand that these things are going to happen. And just like every other promise from Jesus, you could take it to the bank. And that may not be a comforting thought, thinking of the tribulations that we're going to have to face as Christians, but it should be, uh, because it helps us to prepare our minds uh, and our, our souls beforehand. Uh, that way we're ready when the attack inevitably happens. And just it makes me think back in, in my life where I didn't think life was hard. I didn't think there were any struggles. And it turns out, well, I wasn't living as I should have as a Christian, right? I was kind of pretending to be a Christian. And then it, here come the struggles, and they blindsided me. We're talking about they won't be blindsided. Well, if you're not living correctly, you're going to be blindsided. If you're living your life now where you don't have any type of suffering and you're not being persecuted in some way, well, are you really living the way you should be living? That's a question you need to ask yourself. Because if it's all hunky-dory and everything's good, well, um, something might be off. Something might be wrong in time to take an examination of your life to see, are, am I living the way Christ told me to live? Because if I am, he warns me, things are going to be tough. And so with that information right up front, Jesus goes on to say, me first. They hated me first. And so obviously, if you're following me <laughs> They're going to hate you, too. In fact, that's one of the reasons uh, that they all scattered that night when Jesus was arrested by that mob and uh, drug off to that mock trial. They all disappeared into the night. Why? <laughs> they were, they were af afraid, and they said, 
look at how much they hate Jesus. Look at that. And they scattered. And it's it's one of those things where they have to live with that. They have to come to their senses and return. But Jesus says, they hated me first. And of course, they're going to hate you. And when, uh, when individuals understand that, it's not so much that uh, it's, it's uh, you know uh, all this doom and gloom but this then becomes a privilege they hated the master and we should be proud to be a companion in the tribulations of the one who is so much superior than us we should pick up our cross daily and follow him as a privilege not as some uh, doom and gloom fate that uh, has occurred because you know i'm i'm decided to be a christian i've decided to follow him of course if they hated him first, they will hate you as well. I think it's important to point out the fact of who hated Jesus first. It wasn't necessarily the world. It was the, uh, at the time, Jewish world, right? Those who were practicing Judaism, following you know the Bible, and were removed themselves. We went over this so much in this book, but they removed themselves from actually seeking God into just the traditions of men and then doing what they thought they wanted to do that make themselves look better. And then who are the ones that hate Jesus? Well, these men who care more about themselves than God. As A.B. Bruce said, those who are zealous in hypocrisy are atheists. So today, right, we think, I always put this, this one thing about this chapter is I always used to put this in my mind as, well, the world's going to hate me like they hated Jesus. Well, it wasn't necessarily the world that was hating Jesus. It was the Christian world, or not Christian, but Judaism world the God-following world that hated him, Sadducees, Pharisees. And we got to be careful of that today, too, because we are going to be hated by some people who claim to follow Christ, if we are truly following Christ, because not everyone is truly seeking God. Yeah, and we have the the perfect example of that in Scripture uh, with a guy named Saul. I mean, Paul. (laughs) (laughs) What was his name? What was his name? Uh, But we have, you know, he's incredibly zealous for the religious world. He calls himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was so passionate in following what he thought was God's will that Jesus has to confront him there on the road to Damascus and say, why are you persecuting me? Uh, and so we have this example with with Paul to where he then becomes that prototype uh, for us where he can say, I was the worst of sinners and yet God rescued me from that despair that I would I put myself into. And so we have hope that even if we are against, uh, you know, God, we can repent and return to him. But I think like what you're saying there, Kevin, this idea of we look at the world as this thing that's out there. Uh, and sometimes we fail to see the, the enemies that are so close to us. Uh, even maybe within our own families. Uh, and that's that's a hard truth sometimes to realize, uh, but we have to be understanding that we are with God no matter what. Uh, even if everyone around us, even if our own families uh, are against God, we must remain faithful to him uh, because that's the only place where we have where he can receive the comfort that only he can give. And the idea of, of making that, that choice, either we, we give up the honor and the privilege and the hope of our calling into 
the marvelous light of the gospel. Or, A.B. Bruce says, we descend into the dark world, which is without God, without hope. We have to make that choice. And because the world, and that would include the lukewarm uh, pew, you know, filling congregation that just sits there to someone that actually follows the, the, the Savior that walks in the light, those who are lukewarm are going to look at that and say, you're radical. That's too radical for me. I can't, I can't do that. And, and then they'll attack. And Jesus says, I want you to realize that this darkness is going to try to overcome that light. And this hatred this hostility in the first place it's uh toward jesus then it's toward those who follow jesus and then it's outward hostility to god the father and so the hatred is real and we even teach our children don't use the word hate (laughs) and there's something about this particular chapter in ab bruce's uh, uh book here that uh, one of the pages, I just kept underlining the word hate, hate, hatred, hatred. It's like, good grief. And one of the, one of the most uh, eye-opening uh, paragraphs to me in this particular uh, section was the concept of, of the Jewish mind being so hateful. No man, he says, could hate like a religious Jew of the apostolic age. The pagan world, well, they, they kind of despised the Christians. The Greeks laughed. The Romans passed by. But the Jew, oh, persevering, implacable, malignant hostility. No wonder Jesus would say, you're of the, your father, the devil. And talk about friendly fire. I mean, this Jesus came to his own, and they didn't just ignore him they hated him i mean they went out of their way to hate him and so we have to understand that's what we're getting into that's what's happening uh, when we decide to follow jesus and be ready (laughs) and if we're ready then we won't be surprised we'll actually be like okay it's happening i can see it now i jesus warned me and here it is and so be ready. Yeah, and I think one of the, the hardest things to do going off of that is convincing other people that are looking for Christ that Christians don't hate, at least those who are truly following Christ, because the water has been so muddied. They, they, you know, I talk to these guys sometimes at work, and they're like, yeah, well, the Christians hate me because of this. It's like, well, if they hate you, then they're not Christians, because Christians aren't supposed to hate. And it's like one of those things It's very hard to explain, like, well, you know, like I might disagree with you, but I'm still going to love you. I may not, you know, fully get along with everything that you believe, but guess what? I'm never going to hate you. I'm always going to love you because Christ taught me to love. He loved me when I was unlovable, and I'm going to love everyone to the best of my ability. I'm not going to hate anyone. So if someone hates you, well, then they're not really trying to follow Christ. Yeah, and I, I believe that's that's correct. This There's that misunderstanding of, you know, the Christian can see, you know, the sin in somebody's life, let's say, and they want to help that person realize that that sin is detrimental to their spiritual well-being. 
And so they try to point out, hey, God doesn't like that type of behavior. Or God doesn't like it when you say these things, or God doesn't like these this type of stuff. And the people in the world perceive that as Christians, well, you just hate me. You're judging me. How dare you? They get uncomfortable uh, because you know, the, the words of God are convicting them. It's making them feel uncomfortable. And then they perceive that as the Christian is hating me. Where in reality, like you're talking about, Kevin, what is the most loving thing that we can do towards another human being? Well, present them with the, the gospel truth of rescuing them from their sin. <laughs> and if I would just ignore their sin, that would be the most hateful thing that I could do to another human being. If I just looked at them and said, well, I know you're living in sin and I just don't care. How hateful. If I really believe what I believe in scripture teaches me and I see the soul of another human being careening towards destruction, (laughs) what is the most loving thing that I could do? Try to rescue that individual. But like you're saying, the world perceives that as Christians hating what they're doing. And that's just a hard truth that we're going to have to realize. And this is one of the major reasons why the world looks at Christians and hates us (laughs) because of the convicting thoughts that they are feeling (laughs) based off of the truths that are represented in Scripture. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. I'm just curious as to the best way to do that because I have witnessed Christians come across very unloving when they're trying to help someone. I think we have to be very careful with that and have that relationship built with someone to where they know we love them. They know we're there for their betterment and not just to point out their wrongs. And that's just such a tricky, tricky thing to do. There's a fine line there. Yeah. 100% agree. And I think the, uh, one of the best uh, techniques is something that has been, there's been a phrase coined called friendship evangelism. And the idea is you really can't show someone how much you know until they see how much you care. And in order for you to show how much you care, there has to be a relationship. There needs to be some something built up to where you have a rapport and you have a relationship and then you can make these uh, announcements. Then you can make these declarations from the Scripture and guide them and lead them where, like some, like Kevin was saying, that there, there's so much hatred, it seems, from Christians to non-Christians to try to bring them into the truth. Rather, we need to have a relationship established and then we can bring the information into their heart because then they'll see, you know what, that that guy, he does care about me. There, when there's a problem, he's the guy that, that comes over. He's the guy that shows up. He's the one that helps. He's the one that has uh, some answers. He's the one that prays for me. And all those things lead into a relationship, and then information can be shared at a spiritual level that's much deeper. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what are you supposed to say after that? <laughs> Now, George, uh, 100% agree with that, the whole friendship thing, in order to build that. And that's 
my basically that's my justification for all the hobbies I have in my life is so I can connect with more people. Uh-huh, that's why sure. I do all these different things. <laughs> so it's like, oh yeah, you do that. Oh, I let's go, let's go rock climb, let's go whitewater raft, let's go mountain bike. Let's, oh yeah, that's the reason I do all these things is so I can friendship evangelize. <laughs> it's it's not that they're really fun to do as well. Though. Well, that's <laughs> a bonus. <laughs> <laughs> but that's true, and you know, and and people will. If you become a part of individuals' lives uh, to where you're living amongst them and you're living differently and it's recognizable uh, because this is where that that kind of mistake sometimes happens where people will say, well, Jesus ate ate supper with, with sinners and tax collectors and so therefore I'm, I'm going to go out and party on, on the weekends and stuff. I'm going to do these types of things. I'm going to put myself into these situations. And far too often what happens is the Christian just falls into sin. Uh, and it just becomes a problem for the Christian uh, in that aspect to where this type of friendship evangelism, we need to be distinctly different from the world. We're not a part of the world, but yet we're called to rescue those that are in the world. And so we live in the world and we have to be a part of this world, not separate from it entirely, um, you know, physically speaking, uh, but we cannot let it change us and let us let us fall into sin and so that there's where it becomes very difficult and we have to be very uh, uh vigilant in our own christian walk to make sure that when we are going into situations like this with this type of friendship evangelism that we're not falling sub- subject to the sins of the world themselves and allow that to uh, uh pollute our souls as opposed to us being the light in the world and so there's that that difficulty that Christians uh, have to understand. Uh, and Jesus, you know, again, is warning us here, they're going to hate you because they hated me. Uh, and so we have to have that mindset uh, as well, that we may not be liked, uh, but that's that's okay. Uh, we're not trying to be liked. <laughs> uh, and if that's our goal, to be liked by everybody, uh, then I think we've missed that point as well. One might say is, Shrewd as serpents, innocent as doves, right? Have be cunning, have a plan, think ahead. Don't just willy-nilly go into it. And so just imagine as Jesus makes this announcement, basically, the reaction. They must have been appalled. They must, And Jesus must have seen that on their faces because it's like, what? We're, it's it's going to hurt? This is, this is going to be difficult? And so Jesus says, I've got to give you some, some power to uh, endure. There's got to be some aid here for you to see the importance and really the, the, there's good reason for this to occur. There's, there's a reason because I'm leaving and I'm going to send the comforter. We've, we've seen that in chapter 14 of John. We're going to get this comforter and he's going to provide information for us and yet there has to be some kind of comfort and aid given to these individuals because they must have been shocked to see that this is where it's going to lead. This is, this is going to be difficult. And so, first of all, Jesus says, I would, I would rather not even mention the problems that are coming, but my, my departure is at hand, and so I have to warn you. I have to tell you about this. And so... This, this preaching that Jesus is doing, this teaching, this announcement of impending you know, doom that's coming, you know, it's going to be tough. He says, 
I want you to see it for what it really is. And there's a, there's a good reason for this to occur. And when you succeed, not if, but when you succeed, then you'll be able to look back and say, I did this because of my love for the master. There's a distinct blessing for those that work hard in this thing that we call Christianity and those that will succeed. And Jesus promises that you work hard in this, you will succeed, and you'll be able to look back on your, your, your walk, your life, your, your Christian uh, faith, and be uh, blessed because of the success that you've had in Christ. And there's, there's, mess, there's massive blessings uh, that come alongside this as well. It's not all just suffering and tribulations and trials, although those things will come, but overcoming those trials and sufferings, there's huge blessings uh, involved in this. I think that's what you're talking about. I don't know. Well, and I think it, part of it, too, is also seeking discomfort in your religious walk. So if you're just comfortable all the time, are you really trying to grow, trying to get better, trying to bring people to Christ? Because it's not easy. We're talking about all these tactics and different things is because sometimes things work, sometimes things don't, and we make mistakes, and it gets terrible, and then people, like we're talking about, hate you because you made a mistake trying to bring them to Christ. It's like, this is hard. But if we don't seek that discomfort in approaching people, talking to people, trying to build relationships, trying to bring people to Christ, are we being Christians or are we just, like George said earlier, warming a pew? What good is that? And so Jesus is looking at their faces and looking at their response, and he sees that he needs to continue with some good reasons. This is going to be, my departure is going to be for your own good. I have to go away. And so how could this possibly be good? And they don't even ask the question. They don't even say, wait, hold, hold your hands. Wait a second. What do you, you, how can this be good? And so we have to look at it from Jesus' perspective and say, how can this be good for the apostles, for Jesus to leave and then them be bombarded with all this hatred? How can this be good? Well, A.B. Bruce kind of you know, sums it up like this. He says, when Jesus is on the cross, buried and resurrected, after all of that and his ascension back into heaven, now there's going to be receptive hearers. There's going to be people that ask the question there in Acts chapter 2, what must we do to be saved? They're going to realize the importance of this whole event. And then, secondly, this is going to be good for you because now you'll be competent to preach. You'll have something to say. I remember one time I was asked to go uh, to someplace in Russia and, and be a missionary, and I uh, hadn't even gone to Bear Valley. I was in my 30s, and this guy looked at me and said, I want you to go. And so I was talking to my preacher, one of the elders in Gunnison. I said, I think I'm going to go. And that elder in Gunnison turned around looked at me and said, what will you teach? And I thought, uh, the gospel? I, and I had, I had nothing to say. I said, I don't really know. And he said, why don't, you, why don't you get something to teach, and then you can go. And so that's what Jesus is saying about his departure. 
and the importance and the good that will come from it. In order for this all to work, there has to be a death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And all of that's coming, and they need to be aware of it, and then they'll be ready. Yeah, this this idea of if I don't go away, then the helper cannot come. And when the helper comes, you'll be you'll have all truths revealed to you. All truths in what? Well well the gospel message. Well, what is the gospel message? Well, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Those things have not happened yet. And so Jesus is looking into that future and saying, I have to go and die. This is God's plan. And when I do, then you'll turn from disciples, followers of me, to apostles. You'll be sent out on a specific mission to preach this gospel that I died, I was buried, but I was resurrected, and then the Holy Spirit will come and bring you into all those truths. And then he says, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And so, what did they have to preach? <laughs> They're there to convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And all of this had to take place after the resurrection. And so, Jesus telling them the, these things is, this has to happen in order for you to have a mission. <laughs> well, I look at it, too, from the leadership side of things. When you mentor someone there is a point where you have to get them away from you to where they have to see what they actually know, what they can do. They have to stand on their own. The, the saying goes that you will never build a shelter if you're standing under someone else's, right? If you're already comfortable and warm, dry under someone else's shelter, you're not going to go out and build your own. You're where you want to be. It's nice there. Well, that's where you have to push people out to see if they have learned anything. Also, they have to learn things on their own, go through hard times, to be able to build their own shelter. And that's kind of what Jesus is doing for the 12 here. I've trained you up. I brought you as far as I can. Now you need to go out on your own. You're going to make some mistakes. You're going to do some things wrong, but you're going to learn and be well more equipped than you would be if I stayed. And we see that with our uh, children as they grow up and as uh, your, your faith, you've displayed that toward your children and then you watch them you know, grapple with that, and it becomes their own faith, and they go off on their own. And that's what Jesus is trying to get these guys to see. This is this is important for me to to leave, and then this Comforter, this Holy Spirit, he'll he'll bring you in remembrance of the things I taught you, and remind you all those things that three and a half year period, and he'll show you all the things to come. And thankfully. Uh, these guys wrote it down. <laughs> and so we don't have to guess. 21 centuries later, I wonder what they were doing. I wonder what they're thinking. I wonder what Jesus wants me to do. It's been documented. The Holy Spirit documented this plan. And now it's up to us to follow what is written here. And so the, this personal ministry of Jesus, he knew it was going to come to an end. And the beginning of the ministry of the Holy Spirit would begin on that day of Pentecost, and then the application would be that documentation. And so we have everything that pertains to life and godliness. We have it, and it's because Jesus left 
the disciples on their own and watch them uh, produce that fruit. And we're, we're examples and uh, benefactors of, of that fruit. Yeah, and the pattern hasn't changed. You know, 2,000-plus years later, the pattern is still the same. We, have, we follow the same master, and we have the same uh, teachings, the same understanding of the same Scripture from the same Holy Spirit, all the same. Uh, and like you're talking about with our children, we build up our children, and they produce their own faith, not just a you know proxy of my faith, but their own faith, and then they do that towards their children and their children and their children. We just pass this on to the next generation and so on and so forth. So we're 2,000 years later, and we're still doing the exact same thing. Uh, we're not just relying on one individual to be doing all of the work. In this case, Jesus here, the apostles looking at Jesus and going, well, what are we going to do when you're gone? And Jesus is saying, you're going to do the work. <laughs> and that realization of, okay, now it's my responsibility, and then my responsibility is to teach in the next generation to take that responsibility, and then so on and so forth, to where we have this Christian religion that is throughout the entire world uh, and is passed on through individuals uh, to other faithful individuals. Now, I still believe it rings true that no one ever feels like they're ready either when they get pushed out of the nest. No one ever thinks it's, oh, I'm ready to go ahead and stand up there and start doing some work. It's like, no, no, I feel like I'm completely inadequate, unable to do this. But that's kind of the point. It's because it's not me doing it. It's God working through me to do these things. And we have to take that into remembrance as we're stepping up into leadership. And then also those who are handing down the leadership to recognize that yeah, I'm falling through the air here. I'm trying to figure out how these wings work, but I need your help to guide me because I'm, I'm going to be on my own. And so A.B. Bruce kind of wraps up the section with the idea that without Jesus returning to the Father, they're at the right hand of God. Uh, how can we teach and preach about the coming judgment, his return, unless he had left? And so all of these things, without the completion of the plan, without the completion of Jesus working the plan of God that God had before the foundation of the world, he said, I'm going to set up a safe place. It's called in Christ, and those that are in Christ will be safe. And then I will judge the world with these words that Jesus had spoken, uh, John chapter 12, verse 48, and then... I will return and bring all of you home with me. All of that can't occur until Jesus leaves, and so then he can come back. And so when we look into the future now, in the 21st century, we see Jesus is going to return. He still hasn't returned. And when he does, he'll bring everything uh, to bear all the judgment, all of it. And I, I love Romans 8, verse 1, where Paul writes, he says, there's therefore now no condemnation for who? For those who are in Christ. And blessed are all they that put their trust in him. And that is the, the gospel message. There is a death, a burial, a resurrection, and then Jesus says, I will return. I'll return for you, and I'll remove all of the sin and and cast it aside, and it will no longer be a problem. You will be with me and the Father. 
and what a relief uh, that will be. And that gives us hope, you know, in the, in the times of tribulations that are going to happen. Uh, you know, one of the most famous verses, I think, from John chapter 16, verse 33, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you will have peace in this world, you will have trouble. But take courage, I have overcome the world. We have this promise from Jesus himself, trouble is coming. <laughs> that is a guarantee, but we have hope because Jesus says, I have overcome that trouble, no matter what. Uh, and so our responsibility then is to stay in Christ and then get as many people that we can to make that same decision uh, because we want to bless the world through the words of Christ and so that they can be have the same hope and the same uh, salvation that I have and, and the same love that I have, even though the tribulations of this world come around you. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but even non-Christians have tribulation. <laughs> Everybody has tribulation. It's, it's a human experience uh, to have those types of things. The difference between a non-Christian and a Christian is the Christian has hope. And that's, I believe, the key of the of the encouragement and and the and the the happiness that we can find in Christ. It's not always going to be sunshines and rainbows, you know, but it is hopeful. Well, we need to be the buffalo. Heard something really interesting the other day. There are difference between buffalo and cows when they're out on the prairie and there's a big storm coming. The buffalo see the storm and they run at it head on, and they go right through it out to the other side. The cows, however, try to run away from it, usually end up in it and run around in it forever and are lost in the storm until it passes on its own. We need to be the buffalo. We know the storm's coming. We know that there is peace on the other side of this. We need to go headfirst into it and lead others through it and then get to that peace because we have that hope that there isn't a storm on the other side, that there's peace on the other side. Headfirst in. Be a buffalo. And then think about how when we look back at these tribulations and these struggle, struggles and these sorrows, we'll think, well, that was, that was all worth it. It was, look, look where we are now. We're, the storm's passed. Here we are. And it's wonderful. On this side, we look back and say, well, that, he warned us about this, but look what, look what the blessing is and that the beauty of that uh, can be that motivation that continues to help us with his power, get in face first into that storm and get through that because of the power that Jesus has living in us. Yeah, and many people ask or maybe have asked, well, what does the Holy Spirit really do? You know, Jesus promised that we'll have the Holy Spirit, and when we're baptized, we're told that we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, what, what is that? And I believe this is part of it. This, this comfort that we have in the hope of, of Jesus Christ through the words of the apostles here, through the scripture, this type of uh, peace of mind that the Holy Spirit can give us, this is, this is part of that gift of the Holy Spirit that we have if you are a baptized uh, Christian. When you receive that gift, this is what you're looking at. This is the comfort. I believe that's part of it. We leave you with these questions. How do you handle rejection and hatred when you take a stand for Christ? Are you seeking unbelievers? 
What is the role of the Holy Spirit in your ministry to the lost? Thank you so much for joining us for this week's study.